toys. Almost everybody loves toys. Toys can be fun, exciting, and even educational. Sometimes, however, manufacturers create toys that cause a danger to the kids that they are intended for. Some of these toys can burn, while others result in death. With the holiday season among us, I present six toys that had issues when it comes to children's safety on the 165th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. It's time for coffee, and I am Jeff Kelly, your host and storyteller. Well, the holiday season is upon us. I hope you and yours are having a very happy one. Like I said last week, this will be my last show for the year, but don't worry, there will be shows in December. A couple of friends of mine are filling in for the next two shows, and I appreciate it. Now, since we are in December, I thought about doing another episode on toys. This year, I thought I'd do one on dangerous toys of the past. Now, during my research, I found that there were two different types of dangerous toys. Those that are faulty, like the Sky Rangers Park Flyer radio-controlled airplane that allegedly had the habit of blowing up in kids' hands, or the Aquadots, beads that were allegedly coated with a chemical that converts into the date-rape drug GHB when ingested, sending kids into a coma. These are not the subject of today's show. You see, the other category, the subject of today's show, is those that were just a bad idea from the start. You know, those what-were-they-thinking types of toys. Now, before we start, I'm going to talk a little bit about the holiday season. I have one piece of advice for everybody out there. Relax. One of the best decisions my siblings and me made was to stop giving each other presents. I know people who stress way too much about buying the right present for their family and others who actually get upset if they don't get quite what they want. And I'm talking about adults. With our decision, I have four less presents to worry about. And in most cases, whatever they would buy for me, if I really wanted it, I would buy myself. At work, we have a voluntary gift exchange, and I opt out of it. It wasn't so much me buying a present for someone else. It's really because I don't need another something to find closet space for, if you know what I mean. And don't get me started on people who tell each other what they want or people who give gift cards as presents. I could go on a whole rant about those subjects. Anyway, I hope you enjoy today's show. It's toys not to buy your kids. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. I think that toy guns that shoot projectiles have always been a popular toy since, well, since there's been toys. Probably the most successful today are the Nerf guns. Nerf manufactures all types of guns that shoot little foam missiles, ammunition that couldn't hurt a fly. Nerf guns are made of bright plastic designed not to be confused with real guns. 
Back in 1949, I can only assume that the Austin Manufacturing Company of Port Austin, Michigan had the same idea when they introduced the Austin Magic Pistol. It was a gun painted bright red with yellow trimming that had the look of a futuristic Buck Rogers ray gun. And its ammunition were harmless ping pong balls. Okay, ping pong balls are not as harmless as Nerf's soft foam darts, but I've been struck with a ping pong ball that was hit pretty hard during a drunken ping pong match, and, well, I'm still here. Austin Guns went for the low, low price of $2.49. That's about $25 in today's money. That's not bad since some Nerf guns go for almost $100. You wouldn't think that a ping pong ball could do much harm, well, they are made of hard plastic, and I suppose it would depend on its velocity as it left the gun barrel. From what I've read, the magic pistol fired them at, well, a terrifying rate of speed. Now, this might be an exaggeration, but it did have a unique method for propelling the balls. It used something called Austin Magic Crystals. Those magic crystals were actually calcium carbide. Calcium carbide is a hazardous material that when mixed with water produces acetylene gas. It does this with a violent explosion. Now the gun worked this way. The ping pong balls were inserted into the front barrel and the magic crystals went into the back. A few drops of water were added to the calcium carbide. The back lid was screwed on and after a few seconds of waiting, it was time to pull the trigger. Boom! The little plastic ball was sent up to 100 feet away and at the same time, a fireball burst from the barrel of the gun. Sounds perfectly safe to me. On the box, there was a warning. Important! Keep cans of Austin Magic Crystals tightly closed when not in use. Must be kept dry. This, of course, was probably due to the fact that calcium carbide bursts into flames when in contact with water. But if this happened, and you were lucky enough to have the child unharmed a new can of the Magic Crystals could be purchased for 25 cents. Now, if you're interested in owning an original Austin Magic Pistol, there's one on eBay in the original box that is being sold for a little under $1,000. Others have bought them, and you can find their videos demonstrating the gun on YouTube. I'll have a link to one of these in today's show notes. An example of the gun firing makes it clear that this toy wasn't exactly safe for children. An ad for the gun at the time stated that it was harmless, has been thoroughly tested for safety by the Detroit Testing Laboratory. Yeah, but still, the Austin Magic Pistol was banned in some cities, and it was pulled off the market pretty quickly after being introduced. Next, we have a toy that I had when I was just a lad. It was a toy I really liked called Creepy Crawlers. Now, Creepy Crawlers were still sold as of 2012, but the Creepy Crawlers of the 1960s was something a bit different. It was a toy made by Mattel, and it started in 1964. Let me explain this one. The set came with a couple of squeeze bottles of colored goo called plastic goop, die-cast metal molds of insects and other bug-like creatures, and an open-faced electric hot plate oven. 
The child would pour the colored goop into the molds, trying to be as creative as possible with the colors provided. Once all the creatures in the mold were filled, it was placed on the oven, which was heated to about 390 degrees Fahrenheit or 199 degrees Celsius. Once the plastic goop was cured by the heat and cooled down, it formed semi-solid rubbery creatures that could be removed, perfect for scaring the little girls in the neighborhood. It was a very popular toy throughout the 1960s, with many versions released. There was the giant creepy crawlers, fighting men, creeple people, fun flowers, fright factory, incredible edibles, which were creatures a child could actually eat, mini dragons, zoofy goofies, which were molds that formed heads, bodies, and feet of various animals, the Hot Wheel Factory, Doll Maker, Super Cartoon Maker, and Jillian's of Jewels. I've often thought that the only danger of these sets were finger burns, which I had many. But I have read that the goo was dangerous. It would give off noxious fumes that could make a child sick. I don't remember ever getting sick, but it might explain my poor memory. Sometime in the early 1970s, it was discontinued, probably for safety concerns. In 1978, Mattel released a safer version of the toy, but it didn't sell very well. Then in 1992, a company called Toy Max bought the rights and came out with a creepy crawler set that had stricter safety regulations in place. Of all the toys I'm talking about today, I think this might be the safest one. Creepy crawlers, creepy crawlers, creepy crawlers. Now, you can make all kinds of lovely things like these with Mattel's wonderful... It makes creepy crawlers, spiders, lizards, snakes, dragonflies. Make them yourself with this nice plastic goop. You can collect them or spread them around. After all, they're fun for the entire family. <laughs> Get Mattel's new thing maker with creepy crawlers. Another toy I remember from when I was a child was something called clackers. Looking back, I wonder why we thought this was fun and why anybody thought this was a good idea. Clackers were popular in the late 1960s and early 70s. They consisted of two hard plastic spheres, about 2 inches or 5 centimeters in diameter, each connected to the end of a sturdy string. In the middle of the string was a little handle for the child to hold on to. When swung up and down, the balls banged against each other, making a clacking sound. These were similar to a primitive Argentine hunting tool or weapon called a bolus. Anyway, that was it. He swung them up and down and listened to them knock together with almost a firecracker sound. I bet that never got old. When one got good at it, they could make the balls hit each other above and below their hand. One has to wonder how many chipped teeth were the result of this toy. In the early 1970s, they were taken off the market in the United States due to reports of children becoming injured. There was even more danger when sometimes the hard acrylic balls would shatter. In the United States, they were classified in 1976 as a mechanical hazard. 
Now, an interesting side note to this. In 1974, in Mequon, Wisconsin, the United States Marshal Service seized and destroyed a shipment of clacker balls from a dock and published a public notice of the seizure in a local newspaper. The Ace Novelty Company in Seattle, Washington, declared an interest in the shipment and filed a complaint against the forfeiture. The complaint was that the shipment was not a banned hazard as defined by the Federal Hazardous Substance Act. So in 1976, the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Wisconsin heard the case, which is humorously known as the United States versus article consisting of 50,000 cardboard boxes, more or less, each containing one pair of clacker balls. It was actually a complicated case that you can read about online, but bottom line was the United States government won. Unbreakable miracle clackers are for everyone, even the little guys. Do it with both hands for stereo clackers. I don't know if this happens anymore, but when my kids were young, it seemed that there was always a must-have toy for the holiday season. And in most cases, there was a shortage of the item, which caused a mad, insane panic in retail shops. When I was younger, much younger, I worked for a store called Venture. The Venture chain is not around anymore, but it was similar to a Kmart or Walmart. In the early 1980s, I can clearly remember the craziness for an item called Cabbage Patch Kids. It was ridiculous. Parents definitely lost the seasonal idea of peace and understanding when it came to this toy. Fights would break out over the last few dolls on the shelf. I remember it being a big deal when new shipments arrived. Employees were hiding them in the stockrooms for family members, and customers were almost begging for the product. The weird part was, in my opinion, these Cabbage Patch Kids were not even very good-looking dolls. But what made them special was, allegedly, each doll was unique, each with their own individual name and birth certificate. Of course, in reality, these dolls were mass-produced, so I find it difficult to believe that each one was actually exclusive. But the original Cabbage Patch Kids were not dangerous. But what was dangerous was a later Cabbage Patch product. An extremely popular Christmas item in 1966 was the Cabbage Patch Snack Time Kids. These dolls had mouths that actually moved, allowing them to appear to eat plastic foods such as french fries and carrots. It worked by having metal rollers behind the plastic lips. When activated, the food would be placed into the doll's mouth and magically disappear and then reappear in the creature's backpack. A doll that can eat? Sounds like fun, right? In an article on CNN, a Jose Gomez told the story about his sister playing with the doll. I thought she was playing, but she was screaming, running all over the place, he said. So my father grabbed her and he tried to pull the doll and the doll had her hair caught and it kept pulling and pulling. In fact, according to a December 30th, 1996 article, the Consumer Product Safety Commission said it received at least 15 complaints about the doll chomping down on children's hair and fingers. In an article on The Independent, there was a story of three-year-old Carly Mintz, whose mother said, When I picked Carly up, the doll was attached to the back of her head. It kept rolling her hair inside the head, she said. 
It pulled the hair from the roots. She is completely bald all the way down to the back of her head. The Consumer Product Safety Commission said parents should warn their children that long hair can get caught in and pulled by the motion of the doll's mouth. And parents should show their children how to quickly turn the doll off by pulling off its backpack where the batteries are contained. In an article on the CNN website, it was written that the toy maker Mattel said all the company's products undergo rigorous testing and the company's testers could not get the doll to start chewing when only hair was put into its mouth. But you know, Mattel, I was thinking about this. A child would probably have the toy on her lap, using her fingers to put the food in. And in general, girls have long hair. Looking down at the doll, maybe the hair would just drop into the mouth while the doll was eating plastic food, and ouch! Eventually, Mattel did the right thing and pulled the doll off the market and even offered a $40 refund for each doll sold. Comes with all the play food you see here. Eats all separately, batteries not included. If you've ever seen the film Fat Man and Little Boy, there's a subplot in which Michael Merriman, who's played by John Cusack, is doing an experiment called Tickling the Dragon's Tail, a dangerous experiment with what is called the Demon's Core a 2.6-kilogram subcritical mass of plutonium. In the film, an accident causes Cusack to get a lethal dose of radiation, and he dies weeks later. This was actually based on two real-life incidents in which accidents with the demon's core caused the deaths of the scientists involved. I tell you this to illustrate just how scary and dangerous radiation is, and how it's not something to be played around with. With that knowledge, why would anyone make a toy that allowed children to create and watch nuclear and chemical reactions using radioactive material? Yet, the A.C. Gilbert Company did just that in the 1950s. It was called the Gilbert U-238 Atomic Energy Laboratory. Alfred Carlton Gilbert, who was born in 1884, was a gold medal winner in the 1908 Summer Olympics in London in pole vaulting. In 1913, he invented a toy for boys called the Erector Set, a metal toy construction set that contained various metal beams with regularly spaced holes for assembly using nuts and bolts. I only say it was for boys because that's the way it was originally marketed. During the First World War, the Council of the National Defense considered a ban on toy production. It was partly because Gilbert argued against that that it didn't happen, so the press gave him the nickname, The Man Who Saved Christmas. Gilbert believed that toys were the foundation in building a solid American character, so in the 1950s he introduced the Gilbert U-238 Atomic Energy Lab. The kit contained a cloud chamber, Geiger counter, a comic book that introduced youngsters to radioactivity called Learn How Dagwood Split the Atom, and yes, that is Dagwood from the Blondie Comics a book called Prospecting for Uranium, an electroscope, a spintheroscope, and four glass jars containing uranium-bearing ore samples, autonite, torbonite, uraninite, and carnitite from the Colorado Plateau region. These served as the low-radiation source of alpha particles, beta particles, and gamma rays. 
Just the kinds of things you want your kids playing around with. The ad for the toy said it was the most advanced scientific toy ever created. Watch atomic disintegration of radioactive materials right before your eyes. See the paths taken by alpha particles traveling at more than 12,000 miles per second. Measure atomic radiation accurately, safely. Actually prospect for uranium with the Geiger-Muller counter. Completely safe and harmless. The guide even said that children could play hide-and-seek with a gamma-ray source. Isn't that how the Hulk came to be? Anyway, as it turned out, many ideas in the kit were way too advanced for most youngsters. That, along with safety concerns, caused the kits to quickly be pulled from store shelves, though an estimated 5,000 were sold. Other fine products from Gilbert were things like the Gilbert glass blowing set. Now, in order to get glass to be molten, it takes an oven of over a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Is this safe for children, you might ask? I looked through the manual for the kit, and there were no safety warnings. And the illustrations showed the boy heating the glass using his bare hands. And there was also the Gilbert Molten Lead Casting Kit, in which kids could cast their own metal army men while ingesting toxic poison. According to KidsHealth.com, whether it is inhaled, swallowed, or, more rarely, absorbed through the skin just by touching a product that contains lead, lead can act as a poison. So, no worries with this kit. Alfred Carlton Gilbert died in 1961, and his company died six years later. And for our sixth and last story, we come to the big one, probably the most dangerous toy of them all, and another one I used a lot when I was a youngster. It was something called lawn darts, or as I remember them, jarts. For you younger listeners, I will attempt to describe what these things were. They were essentially large darts, about a foot long. The back half had three plastic fins with a piece in the center for holding on to. The other half, the front, had a long weighted metal piece that ended in a point. They were little projectiles meant for throwing. It was a game for two players or teams and was played outdoors. It worked a little like horseshoes. There were two different colored jarts, one color for each team. Two hoops were placed on the ground about 35 feet apart or so. Standing by one hoop, a player would fling the dart into the air trying to stick it into the ground inside the other hoop. A point was given for each jart that was closer to the hoop than that of the opponents, and three points were given to any jart inside the hoop. So what could go wrong with sending a large missile with a sharp point 10 or 20 feet into the air and have it hurled down with enough force to stick into the earth? Well, it turned out not only were these dangerous, but also deadly. The force of a lawn dart was estimated at 23,000 pounds of pressure per inch, more than enough to pierce a skull. In an article in the United Press in 1988, James Lacey of the Consumer Product Safety Commission said, In the last 10 years, about 7,000 individuals have required hospital emergency care, and a disproportionate number of them have been children. The thing is, lawn darts had been banned in the United States in the 1970s, but manufacturers challenged the ban. So in 1976, a compromise was reached. They could be sold under certain conditions. 
They could not be sold in toy stores. Retailers could not place them near the toy department. And the darts, which were typically sold in sets of four, had to include a clear warning that they should only be used by adults. And then, unfortunately, tragedy happened in April of 1987. The Snow family in Riverside, California, unintentionally purchased a set of lawn darts with a group of several different lawn games, I assume from a garage sale or such. They kept these games in the garage and never used them. Unfortunately, seven-year-old Michelle Snow, with her brother and a friend, came across them one day and decided they looked fun. Little Michelle was killed when she was hit by one of the darts. Soon, her father, David, began a crusade to get lawn darts banned, claiming that there was no way to keep children from getting their hands on lawn darts short of a full band. So on December 19, 1988, CPCS reinstated the outright band of lawn darts in the U.S., saying that in the previous eight years, 6,100 people have been sent to the emergency room due to lawn darts in the U.S., out of that total, 81% were 15 years or younger, and half of them were 10 years or younger. On the same week, the commission voted to ban the product. An 11-year-old girl in Tennessee was hit by a lawn dart and sent into a coma. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission issued a notice that point metal lawn darts may cause serious or fatal injuries. Parents are urged to discard or destroy them immediately. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. A little bit before I go. Sorry to leave my stories on such a downer. I read the description of some of these child deaths, and they were pretty disturbing, so I, I left that part out. While doing this story, I thought of all those people who post those memes on Facebook and Twitter about how, when we were young, we played with all these dangerous toys and things, and we turned out okay. I'm sure you've seen them. They bug me. Look, just because you were not hurt doesn't mean anything. Maybe some people did get hurt. Imagine a man who fought in World War II saying, I fought in a war and I'm still here, so what's wrong with a war? Yeah, right? Anyway, I want to end this on a happy note. And I'll do that by saying, Happy Holidays to all! Enjoy the season! And enjoy the next two Coffee with Jeff episodes! Personally, I'm taking a few weeks off work, and I can't wait to relax and start planning the next season of Coffee with Jeff. Thanks to everyone who listens and supports the show. It's knowing that there are folks who enjoy the show that keep me recording these episodes. I'll be back on January 12th with a new season of Coffee with Jeff. And now, the ending credits. You know, my podcast is only available because of listeners like you, the ones that support the Psycon Network. Be one of the fine, good people by visiting Psycon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm, and look for the Patreon link at the top. And a sincere thank you to everyone who already supports the show. Speaking of Psycon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find amazing podcasts at Psycon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Story ideas are always welcome. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, 
just go over to iTunes and leave a review or a couple of stars or something. Those really help. And remember, all the sources that I use to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network. To my wife of 34 years for being my wife of 34 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And to everybody who listens to this show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my heart. Happy holidays to each and every one of you. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream, didn't like it, now he never looks back. Coffee with Jeff, coffee, coffee with Jeff, coffee with Jeff, coffee. Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay She was the dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee more coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee with Jeff Coffee